So I said last week that chapters 7 through 12 are the answer to Pharaoh's question back in chapter 5. Chapter 5, Moses comes to Pharaoh, says, Thus says the Lord. Uh, he would have literally said, this, this is what Yahweh says. And Pharaoh answers, Who is Yahweh? Who is the Lord that I should listen to him or obey his commands? And these chapters are the answer. This is how God is going to answer Pharaoh's question and let him know, here's who I am. And it's also an answer for the people of Israel because they are still trying to figure out who Yahweh is. They, they've, they've heard of this God of their fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but, but it's, it's not until Moses comes along that God reveals his name. He says, I am who I am. I am Yahweh. And so they're, they're, they need to know who is their God. And Pharaoh needs to know who it is that he is objecting to. See, Pharaoh is the king of Egypt, right? He's the, he's the biggest dog in the biggest yard. Egypt is the superpower on the planet at this time. So Pharaoh thinks, I don't need to answer to anybody. In fact, everybody needs to answer to me. And most people, including Moses, agree. Moses says to God, who am I? That Pharaoh's going to listen to what I have to say. And so we get here to chapter 7, it's important to see what God says to Moses about that. He says, look, the Lord says, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. In other words, this isn't about Pharaoh listening to you, Moses. This is about Pharaoh listening to me. When you speak to him, I speak to him. My word is coming out of your mouth. So what we're, what we're seeing here is this is not about Pharaoh versus Moses it's about Pharaoh versus God. And what God says here in the beginning of chapter 7 and what he's been saying all along is he's predicting Pharaoh's not going to listen. He's not going to listen. I'm going to be speaking to him. This is me against him. He won't relent. So the other key verse here that Sarah just read is verse 12 of chapter 7. Look at it again. Aaron casts down his staff before Pharaoh. It becomes a serpent. We're told then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same thing by their secret arts. Each man cast down his staff and they became serpents. But, and here's a very important but, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Pharaoh still doesn't listen, but there's a point that's being made here. God is saying to Pharaoh, look, you can try. You, you, you've got power in this world, but let me show you the extent of your power. Your magician's snakes are going to get swallowed up by me. Did you catch that? God's snake swallows the snake's of Pharaoh, that's really important. That's the whole point here of the text. These chapters are about ultimate authority. And they're about submission to that authority. They're about the authority of God's word and human responsibility to obey that authority. And when we don't obey him, which is what we're seeing here from Pharaoh, we don't repent and that's a word, by the way, that has a definition that we'll talk about today. What does repent mean? What, is it, 
What does it really look like? We don't do that, though. These chapters speak of God's wrathful judgment against that sin, against that rebellion. And it is a sobering text. We need to hear it. We need to hear it. God, the holy God of the universe, the creator and the sustainer of everything and everyone needs to be known for who he is, for what he's like, and he deserves to be worshipped as such. There's three aims I have for you this morning. This is, this is not going to be a short sermon. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I meant what I said. Buckle up. But there's three aims that I have for us this morning. The first one is that you better understand God. I don't mean you better understand. I mean that you would better understand God. Okay? Who is He? Second aim is that you would better understand sin. And that leads directly to the third aim is that you would better understand your own heart. Because your own heart is a heart of sin unless God changes that heart. So you better understand God. So that said, let me, let me pray and let's, let's dig in. Father, we, we ask that you would come in great power this morning, that you would demonstrate to us those three things, who you are, what sin is, Help us to understand our own hearts. And ultimately, Lord, I'm asking that you would draw us to you. That you would draw sinful hearts to yourself. That that you would impress upon us the weight of your glory. So that we would worship you for your worthy. Speak to us by your spirit. Lord, do great things this morning. This this is important that we hear. I I, I know that that's true. I know that you've impressed that upon me. So, So, Father, make us hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sarah left off at verse 13 of chapter 7. Let me pick up. Here's what, here's what happens after this first encounter, the staffs. We're told Pharaoh still isn't going to listen. And so God unfolds a series of judgments They're called the plagues, and we're going to look at the first nine plagues. We looked at the tenth one last week in the Passover, but these are the nine plagues. This is the judgment of God. Verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning. As he's going out to the water, stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him, and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and in the vessels of stone. 
Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh, in the sight of his servants. He lifted up the staff. He struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. He would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take this even to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink. They could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. All right, look up for a second. I'm going to give you the sequence, and we're going to keep reading. Here's the sequence. God says, let my people go so that they can worship me. Pharaoh refuses to obey God. And God then enacts a judgment upon that disobedience. In this case, we see the Nile turning to blood, right? Pharaoh's magicians then come along, and they're able to duplicate the sign. They're able to turn some water into blood, and so Pharaoh goes, eh. And he remains hardened in his heart. He won't repent. He won't budge. And so his opposition to the authority of God continues, all right, that's the pattern. I want you to remember the details here because we're going to see them repeated over and over again in these next chapters, over these next plays. We're going to see them evolve a little bit. We're going to see some of the things here change as the plagues continue. So there's going to be some similarities that run through this. There'll be some differences as well. And it's important for us to understand what those similarities are and what those differences are so that we can see what God is doing. Okay? So look for the similarities, look for the differences. Chapter 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, and the houses of your servants and your people, into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and your people and on all of your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up, and they covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs may be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow. Moses said, Be it as, as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall only be left in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields. And they gathered them up together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the, as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand and strike the dust of the earth, 
so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and he struck the dust of the earth and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and on your servants and on your people and in your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and he said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I'll let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of the flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and he prayed to the Lord and the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. Not one remained, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and he did not let the people go. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the kiln, and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. 
It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils, breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils, breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before the Lord. For the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on yourself and your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause a very heavy hail to fall, such as never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter for every man and beast that is in the field that is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. And whoever feared the Lord the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses, but whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man and beast on every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail. Very heavy hail. Such had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field. In all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. And Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in bud, but the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they were late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the, uh, the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased. Sorry, I skipped something, didn't I? But go to verse 34. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart 
he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. It's like a broken record, isn't it? We got a whole other chapter of this. Here we go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show these signs of mine among them. And that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country, and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left to you after the hail, and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field, and they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on earth to this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? Moses said, we will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and daughters and with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, the Lord be with you if ever I let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go the men among you and serve the Lord, for that's what you're asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt, such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been before, nor will ever be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees of the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore, forgive, forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and he pleaded with the Lord and the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in the country of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the people of Israel go. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. A darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. 
Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take them to serve the Lord our God, and we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face you shall die. And Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. All right. Thanks for hanging with me. That's the longest text I've ever read at Edgewater. Why the plagues? Okay, you just saw nine plagues. Why the plagues? I think there's four things. These are the four points I want to cover over the next few minutes. The first one is that the plagues are God's way of declaring that he is the Lord of all. Secondly, the plagues occur so that God can prove his supremacy over every false god. Thirdly, the plagues occurred so that God's wrath would be revealed against the unrepentant heart. And fourthly, the plagues occurred to show God's protection will be graciously given to the people of his choosing. All right? So let's begin by looking at that first one in a little bit more detail. God will declare that he alone is the Lord of all. If you notice as we're reading through and, and, and Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, thus says the Lord, he, he tells Pharaoh in those moments, this is the plague that's going to be, that's going to come about. And the reason why it's going to come about is so that you will know that I am the Lord. That you will know that I am the, the, the Lord over all of the earth. There's these statements that are given in chapter 7, verse 5, 17, 8, 10, 8, 22, 9, 14, 9, 29, and 10, 2. Catch all that? You heard, me, you heard me read them, right? This is why. So that you will know, right? And here is the unmistakable point. This is the shortest point of my whole sermon, but it's the most powerful. Here's the unmistakable point. If God is God, he's God over all. Right? He is God over everyone and everything. And what God is saying to Pharaoh in these moments is, this must be known. You will know. My people will know. Your people will know. I am the Lord God over everyone and everything. Pharaoh is asking the question, remember, who is God? Who's Yahweh that I should listen to him or obey him? God is answering. You're going to know. This is who I am. And Pharaoh's not the only one that asked that question, is he? Our culture asks that question. Sometimes we ask that question. Of course we ask that question, right? And, and what are we asking when we, when we ask that question? We're, we're saying something like this. Why should I let someone else dictate what I do or believe or pursue? Why, why should I submit myself to the authority of somebody else? 
I submit myself to me, myself, and I. Why should I let someone else have the final say in my life? Why give up control, right? That's, that's the heart cry of humanity. And again, even Christians can still wrestle with this, this, this question of obedience, at least at times. We, we, we ask questions like this. Okay, Lord, yes, you're God and, and we submit, but, but, but what's, the, what's the least I can get away with? Right? How, how far can I, how far can I go here? God, I, I, I read your word and, you know, I, I get what you're saying here, but sometimes this butts up against the way I feel. Why should I deny my feelings? Or question my cultural influences or my education or, or, or my own potential, my own achievements? God, why? And there's a very simple answer to every question that's ever been asked to God as to say, why God should I listen or obey? And the answer is simple and it's airtight because God is God. That's what he's saying. So if and when I find myself at odds with God's word, I am denying ultimate reality. I am denying truth. I am the Lord. This is what I say. This is how it is. This is what I've made. Everything exists for me. I set the rules. I set the tone. When you question me or object to me, you're denying not just me, but reality. In other words, you're nuts. It's foolishness. There is no equal. There is no comparison. There is no rival. There is no one beside him. The Lord is God. He is the great I am. Yahweh, creator of heaven and earth, and he will not be challenged. If you get nothing else from this sermon, hear the word of God. He is the Lord. That's why the plagues happened. Hear this, God's saying. Secondly, it's that God will prove his supremacy over all false gods. And this is related because, because what happens when we, when we deny the reality of God's lordship, of his ultimate right to rule and reign over our lives, what we do is we, we don't just deny it and walk away with nothing over us. We replace it, we replace him and his authority with some other authority. Right? We're all created to worship. You, you give yourself to someone. You submit yourself to some kind of authority, whether it's yourself or some other created thing. And the Bible calls it idolatry. And so God says, let's talk about idols. Let's talk about the ways in which you've replaced me as the Lord and used other things to, to set up as the thing that you'll give yourself to. And let me demonstrate to you why I'm superior and how I'm superior. Now, let's, let's think about these plagues. I mean, they seem a little weird to us as 21st century Americans. We're talking about blood and frogs and gnats and boils, okay? We read that. We think this is, this is weird. This is primitive, right? But there's something totally profound happening in this specific progression of judgment. And to understand it, you got to go back to the key verse in chapter 7, verse 12. Again, God turns Aaron's staff into a snake, right? But the Egyptian magicians can replicate it. They turn their own staffs into the snakes. You say, so, so what gives? That felt a little anticlimactic, right? That's like the balloon bursting, right? You're, you're Aaron, boom, here's the snake. And you're thinking, this is the power of God. And they all go, Psh. whoa, okay, God, <laughs> thanks. 
until Aaron's snake swallows the other ones, right? That's a powerful moment. And here's why. Snakes were an important part of Egyptian religious belief. In Egyptian mythology, the world was created by the sun god who took the form of a snake. Have you ever seen depictions of Pharaoh? He's got that gold kind of crown thing. What's right here? Snake, right? Pharaoh is this, this sort of deity, this representation of that, that God on the world. And, and he's, he takes the form himself with his, even with his little hat as a snake, right? So, so it's an important symbol. It's rich here and it's a prelude to the plagues. God is saying, I am going to systematically destroy the gods of Egypt. You think it's a snake? Gulp. Right? And the ensuing plagues then are attacks on specific Egyptian gods. They are demonstrations of God's superior power over each and every one. Most commentators point this out. I'm, I'm going to read from one of them, uh, Tim Chester, on this point, because I think he says it in a most succinct way, and, uh, and I want you to, to kind of grab this as quickly as possible. But he says this. He says, and I, and I hope I pronounced the gods' names correctly, but, but Hapi was the god of fertility, in Egypt, and was closely associated with the Nile. Without the River Nile, there was no fertility in Egypt. Without the River Nile, there's no Egypt. The Nile is Egypt. It's the, it's the engine of their economy. It's the engine of their culture. It's the engine of their, their religion, right? But what does the, the Lord do? The Lord turns the Nile to blood. He says, this, this source of your strength, Israel, is gone. He wipes it out. And it's likely that Pharaoh would come in the morning to make an offering to Hapi, the god of the Nile. And so what does he do? He comes out to make an offering to this god and he finds that this god is dead. This god is dead. Then what? Well, then come frogs. Well, interestingly, in Egypt, Heket, another fertility goddess, had the head of a frog. So they worshiped the frog, again, as a part of their fertility, and yet God shows, no, the frogs are mine to command. Then we have the bull as another symbol of fertility. There were shrines across Egypt for the bull. The bull god Apis was worshiped at Memphis. The bull god Nevis was worshiped at Heliopolis, while Hathor, the goddess of love, had the head of a cow. So livestock was again a rich part of their symbol, about their, their religion, about their worship, and yet none of them could resist the plague of the livestock. They all died. Sekhmet, the lion-headed goddess of plagues, might have been expected to heal the epidemic of boils, but the magicians could not stand. No one could stand. Newt, the sky goddess, could not prevent the plague of hail, nor stop the east wind which brought the locust. Each day, Ra, the sun god, was thought to, to sail through the celestial sky, the sea, in a boat, and that night, at night, he would descend into the netherworld before rising again victoriously at the dawn. But in the ninth plague, darkness ensued for three days. This God didn't show up. Those three days of darkness were a clear sign that the gods of Egypt had been defeated. Right? So before Israel's God, before our God, 
All other gods are powerless. All pretenders are defeated. All blasphemers are silenced. And don't miss the implications for you and for me today. We don't worship frogs. We don't worship cows, right? But we put up all kinds of other things and we say, we're going to put our, our trust and our hope in these things. How much do we place in, in, in the economy, just like they did with the Nile? Our identity is, is in a robust economy. Our, our national security rests in this. And God says, what is that? You think if you trust in the economy, you'll find eternal salvation? I could, I could take it out like that. And, and he's done it, hasn't he? Several times, several times. And, and it knocks us to our knees every time. And what do we do? We build it right back up. Don't be a fool. He will not be challenged. He is superior over every false God. All false power will concede to real power. God will swallow it up. This text wants us to understand something about false power. Notice how the, the magicians are able to mimic sometimes what the Lord God does. And there's something important about that. The, the, the world, this false power of the world, it sometimes can appear to mimic the power of God. But you know what it can never do? And it never does in this text. It can never produce blessing. It can, it can, it can replicate the curse. There's a reason for that. It's because that's all it's good for is bringing curse. False power brings curse, but it can never bring the blessing. Reverse the curse. Reverse the boils. We can't. False power never brings blessing, and ultimately it, it fails to even stand before God. That's the message of the plagues. So God is God over all. God is superior to all rival false gods. Thirdly, God's wrath through the plagues is being revealed against the unrepentant heart. Now, this is where I want us to turn our, our focus back to ourselves. Okay, I said one of the points of the message is that you'd understand yourself, all right? You, you, this is, you've, you've heard something about who God is, right? We, we've talked about his power. Examine yourself. Look back at chapter seven, verse four. It tells us some, something immediate here. God says, Pharaoh will not listen to you, Moses. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and I will bring my hosts, my people and the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by great acts of what? Judgment. Judgment. So the plagues, again, God is saying, this is judgment being brought about on the earth. And, and here's what we're being told immediately, that God's judgment is real and that it's coming. His judgment is real and that it's coming, and, and, and it's like God's saying, hear this. Hear this. Because of the fact is we just discussed that, that God's supremacy cannot and will not be challenged. His, his wrath is rightly aroused and exercised towards those who continue to commit treason by usurping him. You can't you can't do that to the holy God. You can't try to say no. Your power is, is less than my power. He's rightly wrathful against that. And Pharaoh's actions here provide us with a textbook example of the activities and the consequences of sinful rebellion. How many times did Pharaoh go, 
No. 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 You're going, you're Pharaoh, are you serious? No. I want you to, to notice how these chapters illustrate the truths of, of Romans 1. We studied Romans not too long ago. You don't have to turn there, but, but just listen to what was said in Romans chapter 1 about the wrath of God. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's Pharaoh. Right? Isn't that not what we read over and over again about his heart being darkened and his just futile thinking and just no, this is God saying, this is who I am. And he's going, no, I suppress that. This is Pharaoh. And here's the thing. This is every human being who refuses to submit themselves to the one true God who made them. This is everybody who refuses to submit to God. This is some of you today. And it's all of us before coming in repentance and faith through Jesus Christ to the Father. So Romans 1 tells us that a couple things happen to the unrepentant. First it says, three times in that passage, God gave them up to their sinful desires. God gave them up. This is the judgment of God for sin. God doesn't have to conjure up some terrible punishment to to throw at you when you reject him. He just has to let you go and pursue the things you're pursuing. That's what that means. He gives them up to their sin. He just has to take his staying hand off of your life and say, you want that? Go for it. Watch what happens. Watch what happens. And your sinful desires will begin to consume you. Notice in the text as we read that, sometimes, did you catch this? Sometimes it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And there were other times when it said that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Did you catch that? You're kind of going, what's up with that? What, 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 what does that mean? This is what Romans 1 is talking about. God gives us over to our sin. When we have a hard heart against God and say no, God says, you know what? Let loose. Go for it. I will give you what you want. And in that sense, God is hardening what's already hard. But he's, he's pushing you along in that way. Just go. I take my hand off you. And when God takes his hand off, our hearts go. So both are true. Pharaoh wanted to assert his power by turning the Nile into a river of blood for Hebrew children in chapter 1, right? Drown all the boys. Make the Nile a place of death. And so God is effectively saying, you want blood in the Nile? I'll give you blood in the Nile. I'll turn the whole thing to blood. And you're going to choke on it. Pharaoh wanted to assert his power by enslaving the Hebrew people at the brick kilns. Make bricks, make bricks, make bricks. Takes away their straw. Make bricks. This is my power over you. This is my dominance over you. And God says, you want the, uh, the kilns to burn against me? I'll give you ashes so thick from those kilns 
that when my servant Moses grabs those ashes and throws them up in the air, they will become boils on your skin and consume you. Do you understand what's happening here? God is taking the sin of Pharaoh and he's giving him over to it. And he's unleashing its power and saying, it consumes. Is that what you want? Every plague is the consequence of worshiping a false idol. And where that idol is, is, is now set loose to consume the worshiper, God's saying, this is what sin does. It destroys. And it's the judgment of God. In fact, we see a picture of creation unraveling here. Right? You think, think about all the plagues. Are, they're rooted in water, earth, and sky. They all kind of start there. Stretch your hand over the water. Stretch your hand over the dust. Bring the, the wind. It's water, earth, and sky. It's, it's, it's creation. And, and we're seeing that it falls into chaos as sin sets itself against the Creator. That's judgment. And another trait of, and the consequence for sin in Romans 1 is that people lose their minds. Romans 1.28 says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. You, you read this, and don't you wonder as you read this, why Pharaoh doesn't relent sooner? You're crazy, Pharaoh, right? His people are suffering. He keeps being humiliated. His counselors are going, uh, how much longer, Pharaoh? This is the finger of God. We're losing. Do you see what's going on? It's ruined. And Pharaoh won't do it. That's insanity. Yes. Sin is insanity. It's insane to set your face against God. And repentance is the doorway to mercy and hope. So let's talk about repentance. What is it? I said we were going to define it. What is it? Well, I'll tell you what. This passage shows us what it's not. Okay? Okay? Shows us what it's not. Look at chapter 8, verse 8. Pharaoh calls Moses and Aaron and says, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and my people, and I will let the people go sacrifice to the Lord. Look down at verse 15. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Verse 28 of chapter 8. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Just don't go very, very far. Plead for me. Get down to chapter 8, verse 31. And the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people. Not one remained, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. There's two more examples of this. Chapter 9, verse 27. Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said, this time I've sinned. This, this is starting to look a little bit more hopeful here for Pharaoh, right? Okay, I admit it, I sinned. The Lord is in the right and my people and I are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord. There's been enough of God's thunder and hail. And yet we get down to verse 34. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart. He and his servants. 
So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he did not let the people go. All right, so here's what repentance is not, okay? True repentance is not a desire to get out of trouble so you can go back to business as usual. It's a complete change of mind about your sin. It is a complete change of mind. It is a submission of your will entirely to God. It is a recognition that he is the Lord, that you are not, that you have offended his holy name, and now you desire to follow him and his good and wise leadership. This isn't like, oh, whoo, you relented. Okay, I'm going right back to what I was doing before. It is a, no, you relented. By your grace, you relented. I, I'm never going back to that again. I don't want that again. That is an offense to you, God, and it is harmful to me. I don't want that again. I want you. That's what real repentance looks like. Exodus 10, verse 3, Moses and Aaron go into Pharaoh and they say, thus says the Lord, the God of Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Repentance is humbling ourselves before God. And Pharaoh does not do this. True repentance is is characterized by the heart cry of King David in Psalm 51. He screwed up. He had committed adultery and he had lied and murdered to cover it up. But his response was this. He says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my sins. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and I've done what's evil in your sight so that you might be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. That's humility. God, I deserve this wrath. Wash me. Change me. Help me to submit to you. That's repentance. There's mercy in repentance. There is mercy in repentance, but non-repentance brings an unraveling. And that's what God is clearly demonstrating here through the plagues against Pharaoh. There is is an unraveling for the non-repentant heart. And I want us to hear that this morning. I, I think this is something that we all need to wrestle with, and some of you need to hear it in a very serious way this morning. Some of you continue to face stumbling block after stumbling block and calamity after calamity in your lives because you have no idea what true repentance looks like and you've never done it. There are deep idols in your hearts that keep you running back to the idols. There's a stubbornness in your will that refuses to give God control. And and, and there's just shallow relenting at times when when things get a little heated and you, and you, you say, God, okay, take this away, but you run right back to it when he relents. Do you, do you, do you see? May God give you eyes to see that the continual presence of the plagues that just keep on coming are a gracious reminder to you that you have not yet understood repentance? 
That's a grave error when you neglect the chastisement of God in your sin. And here's the final warning. This is the final warning given to Pharaoh. Chapter 10, verse 27. The Lord hardened his heart. He, he gives him completely over at this point to his sin. And Pharaoh would not let them go. He, he continues in that pattern. And Pharaoh says to, to him, he says to, to Moses, and effectively, this is what he's saying to God, because again, God has made Moses like God to Pharaoh. So Pharaoh's response is, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. This is the ultimate setting oneself up against the power and the authority of God and saying, I don't want anything to do with you. And in fact, I still am under the delusion that if you try to assert your authority on me, I'll do something about it. And Moses, speaking the word of the Lord, says to Pharaoh, as you say, I will never see your face again. You don't ever want to hear the Lord say those words to you. He'll mean it if he says it. The plagues are there to show us God's wrath and rightful wrath towards the unrepentant heart. But finally this. The plagues also are there to show us God's protection will be graciously given to the people of his choosing. The story of the plagues is heavy. The wrath of God against sin is serious and it's weighty. And as we see in Egypt, it's comprehensive, right? All of Egypt falls under the judgment of God. But there is still a way of escape here. There is the grace of God here. There is safety from God's wrath under the cover of God's grace. Did you catch a couple of remarkable scenes as we went through the text? Chapter 8, verse 22. This is the plague of the flies, but on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. And thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. Chapter 9, verse 4. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. Chapter 9, verse 25. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. In chapter 10, verse 22. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They didn't see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. 
What's the, what's the takeaway from that? Here it is, very simply. There is safety among the people of God. There is safety among the people of God. You say, but why? What, what made them safe? Well, the Apostle Paul has an answer for us in Romans chapter 9. He looks back on this whole thing and he's trying to figure out what's going on here. And, and this is his conclusion for us. He says, For the Lord says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. That's a direct quote out of Exodus chapter 9. And Paul says, So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. There's a reason why God lets us see the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. It's so that we will see our own stubbornness and depravity in it. So that we'll see ourselves in it, Pharaoh, but further, so we'll see the goodness of his mercy and his glory when he saves us from that wrath that we deserve. The plagues, and particularly the plague of darkness and the Passover, which we, we looked at last week, they point us forward to another darkness that fell over the land. It happened at the death of God's own Son on the cross for our sins. There was three days of darkness in Egypt. There were three hours of darkness at the cross, at Golgotha, where all of the plagues of God's judgment fell on Jesus. All of the wrath of God against sin fell on Jesus. And what happens when, when that took place, when that judgment of God was poured out fully on His Son, the rocks split. The earth shook. The sky went dark as creation once again came under the, the judgment power of God and it began to unravel. But on that day, something else happened. As Jesus breathed his last, the tombs burst open. The dead rose from the grave and Jesus resurrected three days later. Even as creation was coming undone, recreation was springing forward. Jesus' bearing of the wrath of God on our behalf is the mercy of God applied to his people. When we come to Christ in repentance and faith, we find shelter from his wrath under his grace and his mercy. Why? Because judgment has been executed. It has been executed but by the covering of the blood of the Lamb, it has passed over His people. God sent judgment 
on sin so that the world would know his glory and that his people would be let go from bondage and by our release that he would produce worshipers, right? What does he say to Pharaoh? Let my people go. We, we stopped there with the cartoons. Let my people go. Let my people go. God didn't stop there. He said, let my people go so they can worship me. It wasn't just a deliverance from their oppression and their circumstances. It was a deliverance from their, the oppression of false worship into the light of true worship. Let my people go that they may serve me. And so here's the call. Here's what we need to hear from this text this morning. There is a call here to repent and to worship. To recognize that God is who he is. He will not be trifled with. He will not be challenged. He will not be resisted. If you resist God, you deserve the judgment of God. But there's a way of escape through his son who bore that judgment for you. You come in repentance. You say, that's me, God. I've been resisting you. I've been fighting you. I haven't understood what repentance is. I changed my mind about that, God. You are God, and I am not, and I need the covering of your son. That's faith. I trust that what Jesus did was sufficient for me. It counts for me. Your judgment was executed fully on him for me. God, cover me in your grace and your mercy, and God answers that prayer He answers that prayer and says, forgiveness, mercy, freedom is found in the covering of my grace. So hear him this morning. Hear what you need to hear in that and respond accordingly. God sent his son to produce worshipers. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this incredible scene. Thank you for giving us the endurance this morning to to read through the whole thing and and to consider the implications of it. And I pray, Lord, that you, you just work in our hearts this morning to reveal to each of us these four points that you are indeed the Lord over everything that you are supreme over any false rival that we might put in front of you, that your wrath is rightly executed against the unrepentant, but there is grace to be found, there is mercy to be found in the covering of your son to those whom you would open their eyes to see and believe and respond. So I pray this morning, Lord, that no eye and heart in this room would leave darkened. Let us come. Let us find mercy at the foot of the cross and let us worship you as you are worthy. God, you are good to rescue undeserving people like us and call us sons and daughters. What else could we run after or pursue in this world that would would produce good towards us when you're so clear that everything else is out to destroy us? Help us to see and to believe and to respond. And thank you for the open door that the cross of Christ provides for us to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.